But on we go to some European politics, which again, sort of seems like it's an awful long way away, except for the fact that what is going on over there now, we are hearing has potentially anyway, some rather significant implications worldwide. Many people, as I said a moment ago, understand this Brexit debate and the upcoming vote next week, but others I've found in the last few days have no clue. So these next few minutes primarily are for them. In short, Brexit is short for, as I said, Britain and exit, as in exiting from the European Union. So joining us from that point to pick it up from there and help sort it out, Dr. Paul Hamilton is a professor of political science at Brock University, specializing in, among other things, Western democracies, which would seem to put him right in the wheelhouse for this. We're glad he's along. Dr. Hamilton, thanks for doing this tonight. Yeah, no problem. So why, why do some folks in Britain at this point want to separate from the European Union? Well, this isn't a new phenomenon. This has been uh, a longstanding grievance, I think, amongst uh, uh, a fairly large sec- section of the British public, fueled, too, by the right-wing politically and also the right-wing tabloid press that are constantly making fun of Brussels regulations and inefficiencies of the EU and all these kinds of things. And, and more lately, you know, um, sort of uh, winding people up uh, with fears about the way the EU has handled the refugee crisis, the way the EU is handling uh, the Eurozone, um, so for, this has been going on for a long time, um, and, uh, but really, ultimately, it's, it's because David Cameron promised it before the last election. And, I mean, are there, in your mind, are there any of these grievances that are with merit? Oh, I would say so. Uh, you know, Britain has kind of a, a, a liberal, in the, in the philosophical sense, culture, uh, one that has always been for, you know, free trade and globalization um, and that sort of thing. Uh, the most extreme sort of strain of that, I guess, under Margaret Thatcher. And so for them, they see uh, Europe as, as this enormous uh, bureaucratic uh, institution with all kinds of rules. And I'll give you an example. If you were to join the EU today, like, uh, you know, Macedonia wants to do, uh, you would have to absorb... Um, something like 150,000 pages of law and regulation. And uh, they cover everything from agriculture to uh, the environment to um, uh, workplace safety, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, there's that grievance there, although that's ideological because some people think government does things well and and other people don't. Um, There's also a concern about British sovereignty, the idea that British parliamentary sovereignty, this cherished uh, centuries-old institution is is leeching powers away to Brussels and these uh, unelected um, political leaders of the EU. So the, the, they do have some substance, um, but I think rather than exit, what they really ought to do is, is just focus on influencing the way the EU develops and renegotiating and trying to reform the institutions of the EU. Now, that, that's, that's interesting you say that, because going back to your previous point, 
the, for 150,000 pages of laws and, and these things that, that Britain, Britain has always kept, even though they're part of this, they've always kept kind of a unique kind of distance from the EU. I mean, they kept their own currency and they, they've always, have they not always seen themselves as part of it, but sort of on the outside periphery of it? We, we've, we've remained very unique as British, they would say. Oh, for sure. I mean, first of all, they didn't join till 73. And uh, this is really a continental project. And it really came out of the devastation of World War II and, of course, the Cold War that followed, what to do with Germany, um, figuring out how to spend the martial aid from the U.S. And so that kind of brought the continent together. But Britain always saw itself, Britain had an economic boom right after World War II, and it always saw itself as really not needing Europe and really being closer to the U.S. It still had the empire uh, in '45. It... Uh, you know, is a permanent member of the U.N. Security Council. It's, there's also that whole psychology of being an island. They haven't been invaded in a thousand years. Um, so uh, there's a different psychological mindset, I guess, and so I think you're quite right. So they've always had that a la carte kind of approach, mm. um, particularly, as you say, not joining the Eurozone, not being part of the Schengen zone of free movement, Um yeah, that's right. So, okay, so for those who want to leave, for those who are pushing that they want to make the Brexit, to, to again, go to that phrase, they are arguing that the benefits to them leaving would be what? Oh, that they could now strike out on their own. Uh, they're going to forge their own economic future. They're going to trade with who they want. They're going to um, uh, basically strike their own path. Every trade agreement that the Europe, uh, that the United Kingdom is in now uh, was negotiated by the European Union over the last couple of decades. Uh, if they were to leave, essentially they would be starting brand new. They'd be a member of the World Trade Organization. They would then begin to negotiate uh, trade agreements with the rest of the world. And they, it is a big economy. They would be an attractive trade partner. There's no question about that. Uh, but, of course, the transition from EU to independence uh, would have, I think, some serious uh, costs. Well, just before we get to the cost, would it be difficult for Britain or for the United Kingdom to untangle from this then? Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't know that we can say for sure if it'll be difficult or not. I think it will be difficult. I think it's going to take probably, at a minimum, three years the uh, current president of the European Commission thinks it could be seven years. Um, it really does depend in a way on the, the good faith and goodwill of the negotiators mm. after, after the vote. Okay, so now those people, those are, the, those are the ones who want to break away and want to start branch out on their own. Now you've got the people who are arguing, no, we should be sticking around, we've got to remain in the European Union. What is their main argument? Why, why, what's the benefit to them? What's the upside to them of staying? Well, first of all, um, it's the ease of trade with uh, half of British exports go to Europe. And if you leave immediately, then there could be tariff and non-tariff barriers to those goods, and that's going to hurt the economy. So right away, that's an issue. Um, Also, uh, people have benefited from uh, the ease of travel, the free movement of labor, of services, uh, etc. Um, it, it has uh, reduced transaction costs. It's enabled uh, economies to operate uh, 
at a more uh, logical sort of scale. And, um, of course, there's a political element where Britain has a great deal of influence because it's one of the largest members of this of the largest economy on Earth, uh, that being the European Union. So if let's let's play this that if they vote yes come next Thursday when this vote happens and they vote that they are going to separate does this have the potential to start a domino effect across Europe or is this just looked at as a one off and that's just the United Kingdom Well um it might take a little while to see about that because countries might want to see just how difficult it is for the for the UK to extract itself now, the EU will have an incentive to make it a little bit hard because they don't want to encourage anti-EU political parties in the rest of Europe. And by the way, every country has anti-EU political parties. Large parts of the public are uh, disenchanted with the EU. So, yeah, that could definitely be uh, a problem, although I think it might take a little while for that to manifest itself. But there's no question. Uh, Greece, um, Denmark... The Netherlands, even um, a lot of the East European countries, you know, the publics are they're not completely sold on this idea of the EU. And, and if I mean, again, looking long, long term, let's say this did start a domino effect. What, what is the implication then to Europe? Because Europe has not always been, as you said, it was out of the World War Two devastation. It hasn't always been together. So if, if it was to go back to being a number of splintered, unaffiliated countries, is that a bad thing, or is that potentially a good thing, or is it a neutral, or what happens? I think it's a bad thing. The first person that's going to cheer the exit of Britain from the EU will be Vladimir Putin, um, who will see a weaker Europe and um, uh, potential strains between the states. It's going to weaken the European economy. If we see other member states exit or negotiate different kinds of relations with the EU. It's just going to splinter it. And uh, I think uh, I've always said that whatever the regulatory irritants that come with uh, continental integration, the benefits are enormous. We haven't had a European war in 60 years. Hmm. Uh, you know, to me, that's been worth everything. And the other thing that EU does, a lot of people don't realize, is when they brought in states like Spain, Greece, Portugal, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, Estonia, Latvia. What they did was they transferred money to those countries. They helped them to consolidate democracy, to raise living standards, to raise environmental standards. For that reason, I always say, you know, if you if you don't like capital punishment, you should like the EU, because if you want to join, you can't have capital punishment. If you want democracy, you should like the EU because you cannot join the EU unless you're a democracy. So I would say this would be an enormous tragedy um, in the worst case scenario. Uh, but of course, we have to respect the democratic will of the population of Britain. Yeah, it's kind of the irony, isn't it, that you want to have democracy, but then sometimes democracy doesn't necessarily play the way you want it to play. Um, for sure. Th this, though, and you mentioned war, um, certainly we're not, I don't think anyone's talking about a war at this point, but we do know what happened today, that an MP was shot and killed by, uh, I believe she was a, pro a stay uh, MP and a, a Brexit a, a supporter of leaving, gunned her down. I mean, does this have the potential 
as we get closer and closer to Thursday to get nasty within England? I don't think so. Um, they just dealt with a referendum, as you'll recall, um, uh, just two years ago um, on Scotland leaving. Right, right. And that was managed quite well. Um, for your listeners, the one thing I would say about the events of today, we don't know who that person was that killed Joy Co- or Joe Cox, but he almost certainly, everything I've read, makes him sound like a uh, someone with some perhaps mental illness and other issues. And I don't know that that represents some kind of, uh, you know, possible trend um, with, uh, you know, any kind of violence or anything. But the last, the last MP to die in political violence in the UK was in 1990, and that was an IRA car bomb. So I, I wouldn't really worry too much about that, although obviously it's a tragedy. Last thing before I let you go, there is an obvious uh, comparable here, but I don't know if it's a fair comparable, and that is we, a number of years ago here in Canada, lived through the Quebec referendum. Is there any similarity here to that? Oh, it's very similar. I mean, obviously it's a different sort of issue uh, because we're talking about secession from a state in the case of Canada. Um, it's not really a case of secession in Britain. It's it's really just more uh, um, opting out of a, a series of treaties um and in fact i was reading a german uh, economist who he actually called britain the quebec of europe mm. um so there are some similarities i think the similarities that are most obvious are the is the market uncertainty that we're seeing right now in the lead up to the big day and so what do you expect i mean right now i believe the last poll i saw and there's a whole bunch of them so the last one had the let's go let's get out of here by like a sliver of a percentage ahead but it's been going back and forth what, what's your expectation yeah you know uh, apparently what you have to look at at these polls particularly is the number of don't know undecideds and uh, I, I reckon that's around 10 15 percent i my own feeling is that referenda are inherently conservative instruments and the reason i say that is people go into a polling station and they have to make a decision they think about their kids they think about their mortgage they think about their job do you take a chance or do you stay with what you already know and i think that that's why most referenda on substantive matters in western states fail Mm. and i expect that the brexit uh, option will not succeed I agree it could be very close, but I really do think ultimately that uh, people are going to uh, really think about their own sort of life situation and uh, vote to remain. Do you expect a big turnout, though? Yeah, I do, actually. It's that, like the community, the country is that engaged? Yes. Referenda are different than um, elections where, you know, someone may not have a preference as to which party wins. They might not care. Um, but on this issue, it's a yes/no, and most people have, even if they don't know a whole lot about the EU, have some sort of idea. So I would imagine the, the um, uh, turnout will be higher than the normal election. I don't know how high, but I would say higher. Dr. Paul Hamilton, professor of political science at Brock, fantastic job tonight. Thanks for explaining this. You did a great job. Thank you.